Welcome to Kindly Gifted. I'm your host, Kate Tarantiva, and I can't wait to unwrap the world of influence with you. Every day, your gifted episodes, see what I did there, to help you become fluent in the business of creativity and learn the best kept industry secrets to creating an online presence worth remembering. It's really like having a momager on speed dial. So let's dive into it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I need your help with something, bestie. Okay. Currently, Kindly Gifted is at 16,000 streams. It is also in Spotify's top 15% most streamed podcasts. And you did that. You did that. You did that. Okay? I want you to say, I did that. Because you did that. That's what you did. Look what you did. And I am so grateful. If I could reach out and hug you, I would. So just know I'm sending that energy to you. Now I need your help to fucking dominate these charts. Okay? We're trying to go to top five, top one percent marketing podcasts on Spotify, on Apple. Let's let them know this show is bussing, okay? So how can you help me do that? When you get a sec, follow the show or subscribe if you listen on Apple, which like I think 70% of y'all do. <laughs> um, drop your rating for the show. If you want to write a review, I would greatly appreciate that. It is not required, but greatly appreciated. So follow the show or subscribe and drop your rating. That helps us climb the ratings. Okay. Um, it also helps us get bigger guests and sponsors, um, so that I can continue showing up with daily episodes. Cause I don't know how long I'll be able to do that. I told myself for a year, so that will be in July, (laughs) but Hey, maybe we can keep it going even longer. Um, so I would greatly appreciate your help in dominating the marketing podcast charts. Um, and thank you for listening, for sharing with people that you think may love it for subscribing and following, for the reviewing if you've already done so, for DMing me your thoughts on your favorite episodes. I greatly appreciate um, everything that you have done to make this podcast what it is. Um, And if you can continue to help us take it further, I would be even more grateful. So anyways, let's get into this episode before I get a little too sappy, okay? If I were a brand founder, I would 100% consider investing $70,000 to pay Alex Earl to post about my product. And here's why. Alex Earl is part of a very special group of influencers called performance-driven influencers. Now, let me pause here because there's a lot of different types of influencers on the influencer spectrum. And if we were to zoom out and look at the creator-influencer spectrum as a whole, you'll notice there's a lot of different types of people creating content online. And before I get back into like why it's so important for brands to utilize 
performance-driven influencers, I want to speak to the creators and influencers first. And that is, it's incredibly important for you to determine where you fall on the creator-influencer spectrum. And within all of those different types of people that are creating content online, what is it that you ultimately want to do? And what sets your heart on fire? What are you in love with? Where are you going? When I see the creator influencer spectrum, I first start over on the left-hand side, usually at the beginning of a creator's journey, and this is where they call themselves the creator. What is a creator? A creator is a person who makes stuff. It's completely and utterly nonspecific, and calling yourself a creator isn't sellable. It doesn't particularly give any type of USP um, or unique value proposition and if that if you're like oh why are you using uvp when referring to creators it's like well how many fucking creators are there how many businesses are out there right and you're a business as a creator it's important for you to determine what is my unique value proposition how do i stand out from other creators that are inevitably making stuff within kind of a same area of interest or expertise um And you usually determine like your UVP based on your skill set, based on your strengths, your weaknesses, where you want to take those skills. What are those big goals that you're working towards? What are you passionate about? And it's really important to determine those things because when you, let's say like Alex Earl, start working with a team, an agent, a manager, publicist, they need to know how to sell you. They need to know how to sell you to brands for partnerships. They need to know how to um, create press and buzz around you. They need to understand what is your brand, what you stand for, what you don't stand for, what you're good at, what you're not good at. Because from a business perspective, they're hired to work for you and they're getting paid from the revenue and press um, and partnerships and relationships and opportunities that they get you and those opportunities are all supposed to be aligned with the things that you want to do and where you want to go in your career so creator is not satisfactory um it's not enough to call yourself a creator there's you need to figure out where you fit into the spectrum so two bigger parts of the spectrum are content creators which encompass pretty much anybody who is part of a brand's internal marketing strategy in terms of you are creating content either um, organic or or paid media for uh, a company or a brand in the form of you are acting as a creative director and a copywriter, a art director, graphic designer, video editor, director, producer, um, you know, photographer, videographer, editor, content producer, project manager, community manager, uh, social media manager, social strategist, creative strategist. This is like content creators are, are people that want to get a internal role within a, within an agency or a brand performing those kinds of like strategic or executional tasks. Um, content creators also encompass UGC creators. 
UGC creators, yes, do ultimately influence people's behavior to go and buy stuff. However, you're not necessarily getting attached to a UGC creator's lifestyle. They are not there to be your bestie. They're there to be talent um, within an ad on behalf of a brand. Um, And that's really all it is. So... Content creation is is one thing. Um, And then you have influencers and influencers, usually people are like, oh, that the, you know, they're on red carpets and they're, no, not necessarily, right? You might want to be the type of influencer that kind of dips one foot into content creation and you maybe you want to have a marketing agency that's like creator led and you want to be the face and so you're trying to build your influence so that you can leverage that influence and create trust with potential clients and whatever so that that's a possibility there's of course a stereotypical pretty common possibility of you just kind of working with brands and making income from brand deals and then let's say you work your way up to becoming an investor in brands or the face of a brand um, or a co-founder or maybe you found your own company. Um, You have the influencers that are more so people of influence or they become public figures and that's like the mainstream stuff, right? They are radio or talk show hosts. They are on red carpets. They're in movies. They have a singing career. They write books. Um, You know, the maybe they create their own company and brand as well. Um, And so there's a different, and all of those things require different skill sets, right? And so that's really important for you to figure out because like I said, when you bring that to other potential team members and you want to grow your team and and bring on managers and, and publicists and agents and all of these different, you know, image consultants and what have you, um, to be part of your team, they need to know what it is that they're working towards with you. So back to performance-driven influencers. Performance-driven influencers don't always have to be public figures or, um, you know, kind of mainstream personalities. Um, Typically, they do become that because if they're able to sell out brand products, they're probably also very in tune with how to sell themselves organically as well. But That's not always the case. Um, Performance-driven influencers like Alex Earl make up a very small part of the brand deal, you know, income-generating influencers. So what do performance influencers do and why is it really important for brands to work with performance-driven influencers? Performance-driven influencers like Alex Earl, like Michaela, Michaela Nagara, um, are creators, influencers that have been able to organically, consistently generate a significant amount of revenue um, or, you know, at the very beginning awareness and visibility for brands. Performance-driven influencers typically, however, um, are shining stars in their abilities to make money for brands. So for example, if you were to go to a website like PP Ads, right, and look up Alex Earl and look at the 
ads that she that are currently being boosted by brands. Um, so content that she created for them in a brand deal, and then they went and boosted it on the back end. Um, the figures that she's generating for them in terms of financial figures and revenue is is absurd. It's wild. It is insane. Um, there was a video I saw the other day that was like $2 million in revenue from just that one video. And they paid her, you know, allegedly $70,000 to $100,000 for that post. If they made $2 million in revenue from that, they made that $70,000 over and over and over and over and over. They made that back easy. And then some, right? So it's worth it. And performance-driven influencers, like I said, don't usually start becoming performance-driven influencers only when they get sponsorships. They establish a track record beforehand, and that's when sponsors are able to tap in. So, for example, Alex often uses the drunk elephant bronzing drops, Um, you know, she was able to make that a staple in people's routine and sell that out from D to C to retail, um, which then got the attention of the brand. Where is all of this? Where are all these sales like coming from? Where's the spike in sales coming from? And, and they were able to be like, oh, it's this girl, like Alex Earl. And so from there, yeah, that caught their attention and made them interested in, let's say, having a brand deal with her because she has already proven herself to be able to generate large amounts of sales for the brand within that product and probably other additional products. So paying her $70,000 was kind of a no-brainer at that point. So they are able to organically establish a track record. How do you know they have the organic track record? Usually, if you scroll far enough, especially into the very beginning of of their influencer journey, you will find a couple of videos where they show genuine shock and awe that people are, like, buying this stuff. Like, they're selling things out like crazy. Um, They'll be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys sold this out. Like, Michaela made those videos in the very beginning of her career. Um, Alex did as well. You'll see those. And that's how you're able to be like, okay, so there's definitely like some ability to sell stuff here. Um, and then, you know, weeks, months later, you'll start to see brand deals for some of those same brands that they used in the very beginning. And then other brands start hopping onto that. They get invited to influencer trips very strategically because, they're able to generate sales. They're able to generate performance for the brand. So like, let's invite them to a brand trip. Let's see if they can, you know, generate sales for other products. Let's see if they can um, get their followers to sign up to a wait list for whatever product we're teasing on this trip, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they end up being used very much in the bottom funnel Uh, bottom of funnel, excuse me, uh, marketing processes that highly rely on sales, revenue generation, conversion, as opposed to top of funnel influencers that are more so tapped in for brand awareness and visibility purposes. Um, You may have middle of funnel type of stuff where they are uh, 
conversion and CTA oriented campaigns, however, maybe not so reliant on revenue generation. So those CTAs may be smaller in their impact. Uh, they may be, you know, things like waitlist signups or uh, affiliate relationships or um, if it has to do with revenue, so it'll be like smaller type commission type things or, um, you know, event attendance or things like that, which still are conversion oriented. They're just not tapped in directly to like generate sales. We know Alex can generate sales. So we are going to, you know, help us get her to help us sell this product. Um, as opposed to let's tap into Alex cause we need like people to sign up to a wait list, you know? Um, so $70,000 is a lot of money to pay to somebody, but if they can generate you $2.1 million, you know, you just made your money back <laughs> multiple times. Um, so, and the $70,000 figure, of course, I don't know, I'm not Alex Earl, obviously, and I don't work on her team, but I would assume that it is also so high because her agents are taking 10 to 10 to 20% probably with because she's with United Talent they're probably taking a higher percentage simply because it is one of Hollywood's best talent agencies um and the goal is to represent people that will become mainstream talent or already mainstream talent um and then of course she probably has a manager she probably has publicists all of those people are taking percentages or being paid on a on a monthly basis to work for her. Um, so, you know, of that $70,000, how much is going to her team as a whole? I don't know, but they're making a lot of money off of her as well. And so that forces a creator to then have to increase their rates from, you know, maybe a creator without representation is charging 5k for a post or maybe even two, one, several hundred dollars. But, um, a creator with, that much representation, especially of that caliber, of course, it's going to be charging more. And she's a performance-driven uh, influencer. So she has a proven, consistent, consistent, not a fluke, but like a consistent track record of being able to generate revenue um, and convert sales. So the investment into her is worth it. Where do you typically find performance-driven influencers? Beauty, huge one. Tech, also. Um, you'll see a higher turnover rate in those two categories specifically simply because there is a lot of money in very scientifically innovative uh, verticals. So beauty, tech, reliant on research, reliant on innovation. Um, you're constantly going to see new faces. Um, and so there's going to be newer performance-driven influencers that come out of the woodwork in that I don't want to say replace some of the older kind of like beauty or tech creators, but they become fresh faces and you see those fresh faces more often in fashion. I would argue that's not necessarily the case. Um, fashion does not have as much, um, as high of a turnover rate in terms of influencers. So you've probably seen the same influencers in the fashion world over and over and over. That has a lot to do with the culture of the industry that also has to do with the fact that there is not as much um, innovation happening with fashion in terms of scientific innovation. It's not like just an opinion. It's just like a fact, right? Um, and also because 
there because there's less scientific innovation happening there is less money being invested into the fashion industry than there is with um beauty and tech and and things like that that are are more research heavy industries um and by culture that the culture of the fashion industry is different in terms of like you have luxury brands that are running things you you have um old a lot of old money and therefore more traditional hierarchies and traditional function of how the industry functions so you'll see a lot of the same performance-driven creators in fashion for a while. There's a slower turnover rate. There's a harder um, entryway for new creators and, and new influencers and, and new public figures to enter the fashion industry from that angle. It's obviously not impossible, but it is harder than, it, than something like beauty or, or tech. So... How do you know if you are a performance-driven influencer? Well, you have been able to sell products on behalf of brands. You were able to do something that is even very difficult for brands to do on their own, which is you create a video, you post that video. Let's say you're doing a get ready with me. I know this I know this is like a very stereotypical approach, but like I said, there's just like a, a easier point of entry into the beauty world um, when it comes to being a performance uh, driven influencer. So you post a get ready with me. People are perfectly happy to continue scrolling and continue being on the social media app that they have chosen to be on. You have been able to successfully migrate them to another site to browse and find a product to add that product to cart, to, if you have a discount code, type in your discount code and press checkout. That all happens very fast, but that's a difficult thing to do. And the reason I said that it's hard for brands to do it as well is because we now have a lot more power to opt out or upgrade out of seeing ads. We think ads are interruptions. Influencers have been able to successfully create ads that are entertaining and interesting and feel relatable and realistic. Um, so it feels less like an interruption to you. Moreover, something about the way that you communicated that product um, made people feel like they need it. There are other factors, of course, that don't have to do with you that influence somebody's consumption behavior, particularly in beauty where there is overconsumption. The products are of a lesser price point than something like a Chanel bag. Um, and, you know, people can never get enough of beauty products. There's always new things to try. There's always new things to play with. So that there's already an excitement about discovery um, around things like beauty and tech um, that's not maybe necessarily the same when it comes to something like fashion. Um, so that portion is kind of out of your control. That's just a, a part of human behavior. But 
I think the other way that you could kind of identify if you have the potential to be a very strong performance-driven influencer, if you haven't yet really started like pushing product or selling things or recommending stuff or reviewing stuff, is it is no coincidence that a lot of performance-driven influencers, if not most, have a work um, or educational background in marketing or sales. Michaela Nagara was a sales rep or a, 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 an employee at Ulta. Her primary job was to sell product. Um, Alex Earl has a degree in marketing. Um, you know, those things are a huge influence for being able to sell things to people, for being able to communicate things to people that maybe you're not doing purposefully. You're just like... You just kind of know how to do it or you're just naturally good at it that you don't even realize you're doing those things. So I think that's a huge, if you have that background, I think kind of tapping into that is a, is a, is a huge resource for you to be able to position yourself um, and start generating performance-driven marketing on behalf of brands organically. Um, I had a few clients that, um, that are, that are influencers who were in sales or marketing and crush it at affiliate marketing, crush it at performance driven marketing, um, that now they are being tapped into those things on a more regular basis with brands. Whereas before they were doing those things kind of on their own and establishing that proof of concept on their own. And it was a, a lot of our, our work together was about how do we highlight that in the media kit? How can we sell that to a brand? Because if you can generate sales, it is known in the industry. You will be prioritized over somebody who is unable to do so unless the brand is prioritizing awareness and visibility. But there is no brand that is going to just prioritize awareness and visibility and reject a creator or an influencer who is able to generate sales and they have data to prove that they're able to do so. A brand isn't going to be like, nope, not even going to try to negotiate with you on a deal. Like, I don't want sales. No, no brand is going to say that. So if you can somehow sell it in your media kit or in your pitch or what have you to a brand that you're capable of doing those things, they're more likely to say yes and working with you and, and even establishing a longer partnership and working with you. Um, and for brands, I think it is important that you ask or agencies, it is important that you do your research on creators who are capable of that. Um, if you see a creator that has marketing or sales backgrounds that may indicate that they are at least very remotely interested in performance driven marketing and even starting those conversations of asking creators to show data, if they're able to show data, um, for sales and revenue that they have generated. And even going on a website like PP Ads and looking yourself um, at uh, UGC creators, at influencers to see how much revenue was generated from some of the ads that have been created by them so that you can then make wiser decisions on who to pay because sometimes the budget may not be there to pay, um, you know, maybe one creator like Alex Earl, but you may still be able to identify performance-driven creators that you can compensate 
and still have uh, utilize your budget more wisely. So hopefully this was interesting about performance driven marketing and why I think there's been a lot of discourse on like, how come Alex Earl charges so much money? And like, how come she gets paid so much? It's like, she has a proven track record of being able to sell stuff. So yeah, brands are going to pay her. Um, and preferably brands that are in the same kind of interest categories that she and her audience are in. But yeah, they're going to consider her over another creator that they are unsure whether or not they they can generate revenue or sales. And that's kind of out of the creator's control. But what you can control is brushing up on those on those skill sets or getting good at that and just starting to push product and or recommending things organically or starting with having affiliate relationships with brands and seeing for yourself, like how much can you make on commission um, from things that you probably already use and already recommend. Thanks for tuning in to Kindly Gifted. To support the podcast, please leave a review, share with your friends, and don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow me on TikTok at Kate Mob for more creative secrets from the internet's momager. See you on the next episode of Kindly Gifted.